Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. We've been in a series entitled Intentionally. Like, how do we live intentionally in the tension? And we started the series last week, but I think even the message the previous week was kind of still in the same vein, where we talked about this reality of, I, well, I think all of us know how it feels to be in a particular spot, and we don't want to be there anymore. We're here, but we want to be there. Yeah. And in the middle, there's this gap of tension. There's, there's a process. And so three weeks ago, we talked about the tension of distractions, Uh, Last week, we talked about the tension. Uh, Pastor Chris did an incredible job talking about the tension between maintaining versus maturing. And and today, I want to talk about a tension that I think all of us have felt, regardless if you're a follower of Jesus or if you're not a follower of Jesus. We have all experienced the tension of waiting. Like this year has been a year of waiting. I mean, shelter in place is common language to us in California now. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting because you would think that in all of the waiting, it would make us more patient. But I think it's done the exact opposite because a lot of things have now moved uh, from analog to digital. And I think it's actually made us a little bit more impatient that we're going to have to recover um, and we're going to have to learn again how to kind of uh, navigate back into life and relationships and, you know, going back to school, going back to work. Some of us never will. We'll, we'll be working from home for a long period of time. But I, I think we're going to have to try to figure it out. There's some tension there. Yeah. And I think it's made us a little bit more impatient because now at work, I mean, you can literally, if you start work at 8 o'clock, you can get up at 7.45, jump in the shower real quick, put your Hawaiian shorts on, put your collar shirt on, sit in front of the Zoom, and you're ready. Right? For students, they can literally wake up five minutes before they start, maybe even a minute, roll over, open up the laptop, hit Zoom, we're in. And so it's just created more of an instant mindset on the inside of us that I think is going to create some more tension because what, what studies have shown even before the pandemic was that Americans, we just don't like to wait. Patience is not like a virtue uh, for us living in the culture that we live in. In fact, Stats prove this reality. Um, They say that it takes 13 seconds for the horn to honk. You know, somebody's at a green light. It takes 13 seconds. That is not even true anymore. This is an old statistic. You watch today. You stay at a green light for more than a second. You're getting, somebody's going to start honking at you. And some of you guys are that person, so you know that's true. They say that it takes 26 seconds to take somebody's seat. So I thought, like, how do you, how do you equate that? It's about 20, 25. They're, they're still getting their, their hot dog. Take their seat. Let's go. It's fair game. 26 seconds. They said that after five seconds, there's a 25% abandon rate for a video that won't load. At 15 seconds, there's a, it ups to 75 of people that are, are just like, I'm not going to wait anymore. 20 seconds to lose your temper if the ink does not dry on the card. Like who even fills out cards anymore? Does anybody fill out cards anymore? Uh, 22 seconds till people start cursing at the TV if it doesn't stream immediately. Now, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we may not curse, but you know the, the tension when something is not streaming. Like, can you hurry up and go to space and back so I can watch my show? We just don't like to wait. 
Uh, 96% of Americans will knowingly consume extremely hot food or a drink that burns their mouth. 63% do so frequently. Like, you know, I really need this coffee. And you know it's going to be hot and you keep, we just can't wait even for it to cool down a little bit. Like, we have to keep going. More than half hang up the phone after being on hold for one minute or less. That is true because I've been on the phone with some of you, put you on hold, and you hang up like 15 seconds, you're gone. 71% frequently exceed the speed limit. I know that's true because I've driven with some of you. (laughs) Americans will binge watch an average of seven TV episodes in a single sitting. Nearly a third of respondents ages 18 to 24 wait less than one second before they bypass a slow walker. I'm like, the, the days of, of stopping to smell the roses are gone. It's like, you, you're in my way. One second, excuse me. Like, you're walking way too slow. Nearly a third, um, or I'm sorry, a Gen Wires or millennials check their phones on average eight times when waiting to hear back from someone they've dated. And 72% of them admit to pushing an already lit elevator button. I think that's every generation. I push. If the elevator button is green, I'm still pushing it. It's just, it's habits, what we do. But, but this, this season has been a lot of tension. There's been a lot of tension of waiting. And, and we find ourselves where we're at. We kind of see on the other side of where we want to go. We want to take some more territory, but we've been forced to wait. And, and I, I look at the, the NBA and the sports kind of world. And the NBA had to uh, shut down as well, and fans were upset, players were upset, coaches were like, man, we want to play the game. I mean, everybody understands, like, what's going on, but, but there's still this excitement, like, man, I want to get in the game and play. Well, uh, Doc Rivers, he was the coach, uh, formerly the coach of the Clippers, and he said, we can't wait to get back and play. He said, I'm going crazy right now. Every day I'm watching video and I'm preparing, preparing is a key word. We have this little saying around here in our team, uh, uh, we have this little saying around our team right now, and it's win the weight. And that's what we're trying to do. Just win the weight. And they didn't have a very good season, and he got laid off, so it was a horrible year. But they coined, they coined this phrase, win the weight. And I think, I think Doc's statement is, is, is it, it, can, it can resonate with a lot of us more than we realize because I think if I were to look into some of your hearts right now, I would see some of you that you want to gain some new territory this year. We know that just because the calendar changes, it doesn't mean that everything else has changed, but it does kind of set a new season. And there's this, this excitement, there's this angst on the inside of us, some of us a desperation yeah. where we just really need to move from where we're at to where God wants us to be. And some of us don't even know what that looks like right now. We're, we're waiting in the tension. Like some of us, we want to take some new territory in our career or, or the calling that God has for us. Can I just tell you, um, you have a call right where you're at. If you're in the marketplace, if you're in school, this is, this is a call. And if you're retired, there, there's a call that God has on your life. And God has called you to continue to advance, continue to take new territory. For some of you, God has put a dream on the inside of your heart, and it just feels like, oh, man, it's, it's never going to come to fruition. You just feel like you're waiting. Some of you guys are single and want to take some new territory in marriage uh, coming up. Amen? Can I get an amen from all the singles in the house? 
And you're in this tension of waiting. Some of you guys are sick and, and you're, you're, you're waiting for some results or you're in the tension of trying to figure out, man, what is this going to mean for my life? Some of you guys are waiting to have a child. Some of you guys are waiting for your grown child to get out, right? All of us are, are, are in a, a different place of waiting. For some of us, man, we're still waiting for the Raiders to win the Super Bowl. It's like 1980, I think was the last time. 1980? It's going to be a long wait. And so, so the bottom line is this, all of us are waiting. Maybe, there, there's, maybe there's some habits that you just sense the Lord saying, I want you to break free from. Maybe there's some hurt and some pain that you're like, I'm tired of, of this hurt and this pain constantly taking territory in my heart. I want to take some new territory of freedom this year. Maybe you want to grow in your relationship with God, but you find yourself in this tension of waiting, and it doesn't feel like you're winning. It just feels like you're waiting. How do we win the weight? As we look in the Old Testament, there was a man by the name of Joshua. He and his buddy Caleb, they understood what it meant to wait. Now, the Old Testament, the first part of our Bible from Genesis to Malachi, um, the Bible mentions about 43 times in Scripture in regards to us waiting, waiting on the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Come on, I thought, man, if we're a church that doesn't know how to wait, we'll probably be a weak church. Like we we, we got to learn how to wait in the tension. And in, in Exodus, Joshua, um, Joshua was, was one of these guys that experienced the Exodus. Joshua was a slave in Egypt. God raised up Moses uh, to deliver his people after 400 years from slavery. So Joshua was one of the guys that walked through the Red Sea, experienced the miraculous hand and provision of God. And there was a moment where God said, listen, I've given you a new land. I've given you some new territory. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's the land of Canaan today. It would be modern-day Israel. And God says, man, I, I'm going to lead you through the wilderness into the promised land. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 1 lets us know that the journey should have really only been about 11 days. 11 days to the promised land, less than two weeks. So they get to the border of Canaan. Moses sends some spies out to go explore the land, and it was just how God had said. They even brought back some of the fruit. Like, man, it is exactly how God had said. And Joshua and Caleb were like, let's go. God said it. It's our territory. Let's do it. Let's get it. And the other 10 spies, they didn't feel the same way. They were like, no, 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 no. We, we, we can't do that. There's, there's, like, there's some large warriors in this land. Like, like, we're not prepared to fight these guys. They, they said things like, man, they look like giants and we look like grasshoppers in their own eyes. And Joshua and Caleb were like, what are you guys talking about? God, look at all the stuff that God has done for us. Yeah. Like, man, let's go and take this territory. Let's go and take this land that God has promised us. And they're like, no, no, it's, it's not, a good, not a good time. And that unbelieving attitude spread throughout about two plus million people. And a journey that was supposed to take 11 days ended up being 40 years in the wilderness. And the worst part that I feel is for Joshua, for Caleb. It's like they didn't do anything wrong. They believed God. Yeah. But because of other people's unbelief, they were forced to wait 40 years. Like the promise is at hand and they're like, 40 years. Wow. Wandering in the wilderness because of somebody else's unbelief. Sometimes our waiting isn't, isn't our fault. Sometimes we're waiting in a season because of other people's decisions. And God is still, uh, the good thing is God is still working in the wilderness in those times. But then sometimes we're waiting because it is our fault. 
because we're, maybe we're not trusting God in a particular area. We're not giving him access in a particular way. And so we're, we're kind of wandering around um, the de- in the desert, waiting, wondering, like oh, frustrated, living in the tension. Well, well the, the whole time that they're out there, nowhere does the Bible record that Joshua or Caleb ever complained. And they were just as hungry and ready after that 40 years to take that land. They were just as hungry at that time as they were the first time. And so so they never lost sight of the win. Joshua and Caleb were the only one out of their generation that actually entered into the land. The Lord said a generation is going to have to pass away. Moses didn't even enter into the land. But Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit about them. They were able to see what others couldn't, so they were able to live differently than others lived. And God said, you're going to enter into this land. They could see the win. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down is that if we're going to win the weight, we have to first see the win in the weight. We have to be able to see the win while we're waiting. Uh, My brother-in-law, he's in town from Colorado, and In-N-Out just opened out there. He said, man, the line for the first day was 12 hours long. I'm like, if you're waiting in line for 12 hours, you see the win. I don't, I like In-N-Out, but not that much. Not 12 hours long much. But people will wait when they can see the win. I I love what Andy Stanley said. He said it this way. He says, in areas that matter most, most people never define the win. Like in areas that really matter, a lot of times we don't clarify, what is the win in this area of my life, in my marriage, in my parenting, in my singleness? Like what in my spiritual walk with God, what is the win? If you don't define the win, he says, you'll end up adopting somebody else's. So, so I, I, would, I would take it a, a little bit further, and I would say that you and I need to let God define the win. Because it'll, it'll dramatically change the way that you approach life. Like if you're single you need to, and you want to get married, you need to define, let God define what type of a marriage do you want to have. Because that will dramatically change the way you date. And if, you, if that's not clear, you're probably going to end up dating just like everybody else. He's kind of Christian. She's kind of Christian. She's, you know, uh, like, you got to see the win. And it'll help you in the middle of the way. If you want to grow spiritually, God's like, man, I want you to get alone with me. I want you to open up your Bible. I want you to spend time with me in prayer. Man, jump on with Fountain Church fasting and praying for three days. Listen, can I just tell you, if, if we don't clearly define what growing spiritually looks like for us every day, like we're not setting some clarity of some winds of, God, I'm going to meet with you at this time. I'm actually going to work it into every aspect of my life of being with you. But I'm going to have some intentional mile markers that I can know that, man, I'm actually being intentional with my relationship with God. Can I just tell you, if you're never spending time with God alone, then you're going to settle for somebody else hearing from God. You're going to settle for what God is speaking to somebody else and never hear what he wants to say to you. And so, so what I'm saying is this, if we let God define the win, I promise you we, we can win in the weight. I'm not saying tension is easy. I'm not saying it, it's going to be a rose garden. But I'm saying we can, we can find a way to win in the weight. In other words, when God defines the win, when we follow God's every word, we'll see differently than every one. And that's what we need right now. We need to see differently than everyone as followers of Jesus. 
And so, so we, we don't want to put, we want to make sure that God's word is out in front. We want to make sure that God is out in front, that when we follow his every word, we'll, we'll see differently like Joshua and Caleb. We'll see differently than everyone. And so in Joshua's life, if you fast forward, Moses and a generation passed away. God said, okay, Joshua, you're the guy. You're going to lead all of these people into the promised land, a new generation. And here they are. They're on the brink of the promise. They're on the, I mean, they're, they're literally on the soil looking across the Jordan River at the promised land, the land of Israel. Here they're, they're on the brink, super excited to take the land, only to have to wait again. Isn't that the worst? Like, you're so excited, and the guy's like, no, not yet. Not yet, because the Bible says it very clearly here. It says that Josh, in Joshua 3.15, it says the Jordan, the Jordan River is now at flood stage all during the harvest. So they get to the Jordan River. They're getting ready to cross into the promised land, and they realize, man, it's, it's at flood stage, and it's dangerous. We got women and children with us. The Jordan River is not like a little creek during flood stage. It gets incredibly wide. It gets incredibly deep, and, and the, the current is strong. And so they're looking at this like, are you serious? But I feel like, I feel like prophetically speaking, there, there's something here that I want us to, to look into just for a moment is that wherever there's a flood, there's a harvest. And so, so the, you may be in a season of waiting. You may be experiencing a moment where you're looking at a flood in your life. Can I just tell you that God has a harvest in the middle of that flood? I don't know what that looks like, but can I just tell you it does look like his provision in the midst of it. Because scripture is very clear that anytime the enemy comes in like a flood, Isaiah chapter 59, it says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And so as you and I are, are in the tension of waiting, as, as we're even in the waiting, staring at some huge obstacles, staring at the flood, can I just tell you, when the enemy comes in like a flood, that God will raise a standard against him. And, and, and Joshua understood this. We go back to Exodus chapter 17. Joshua and the Israelites are moving out from Egypt. They have never fought a battle in their life, and they're ambushed by a group of people called the Amalekites. The Amalekites jump out, ambush them, and Moses is like, Joshua, you got to get into the fight. So Joshua gives Moses his yes, jumps into the fight, has no battle skills, and experiences the Spirit of the Lord come upon them in a supernatural way where they overwhelmed the Amalekites supernaturally in that moment. And God told Moses, he said, make sure you remind Joshua of this because he, he's going to need it in the future. And so Moses built an altar to the Lord, Exodus chapter 17, and called the altar, the Lord is my banner. And, and, and really the, the, the term banner, uh, a lot of times, you know, we think of a banner as just a sign or, or kind of this, you know, this big, you know, promotional banner. Uh, but, but really here, uh, the, the word banner, it means standard. It means a, a, a miracle. It has the notion of a miracle, that God will raise a miracle in the midst of the floodwaters. God will provide supernaturally when it's way bigger than we are. And so, so I, just, I really just felt like that, that was for somebody today. So just whoever that's for, receive that. Um, Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning and set out from Shittim. Um, and they came to the Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel camped there before they passed over at the end of three days. So here they are. They're on the brink of the promise, and they're forced to camp. Can I just tell you, they're not happy campers. They're not happy campers. They're having to wait three more days while staring at this impossibility. 
Like that's the worst when you're just forced to wait and look at the impossible. Isn't it so frustrating when you're in a hurry and God's not? You're like, man, come on, God. He's like, no, just take a seat. Look at the impossibility. And, and then, you know, good, good friends and family come along and they're like, they try to encourage you. And you just don't want to hear it in that moment. Like sometimes in the tension, like we just don't want to hear certain things. Like God is working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Like God is doing something on the inside of you. You're like, yeah, I get it. I get it. And really in your mind, you're like, I don't want to hear that. I want results. I want God to part the sea. But, but I wonder if sometimes God allows us to wait on the shores of the promise while looking at the impossibility because he wants us to see impossible things with a fresh perspective. I remember what Jesus told his disciples. He said, listen, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, pick yourself up and plant yourself in the sea. And could you imagine his disciples are like, that's impossible. <laughs> and it's almost like the Lord saying, Exactly. I want you to sit here. I want you to see. I want you to feel the impossibility. I want you to understand that, yes, this is impossible. Because if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, is that God's timing strengthens our trusting because it exhausts our scheming. God's timing strengthens our trusting because it exhausts our scheming. Because a lot of times when we see impossibilities... We don't want to wait on God. We want to make our own way. Like, like, come on, we see this all throughout the scriptures. Like when Abraham was afraid, he's like, man, these guys might kill me. Let me just pretend that my wife is my sister. Give my wife over to, to, to the ruler of the region, and that way my life is spared. This seems like a good plan. God's like, what are you doing? Like, why, don't, why are you trying to make a way rather than just wait and trust me? And so, so we, we just try a lot of things. And I'm not, listen, I'm guilty of this. I'm like, I'm type A, and I just want to figure it out. Like, if I could just see what God is doing right now. And like, the last 12, the last 12 months, it's been like this. Oh, man, what are you doing? What are you doing? And just looking at so many different floodwaters. But, but there's something that happens when we're looking at the impossibility. It exhausts. Our resources. It exhausts our scheming until we get to the point where we're like, God, unless you help me, I'm done. Yes. Yes. And in every time I've come to those crossroads, that has always been such a beautiful place. When I was battling with anxiety for three years, I remember pounding on the floor in my room at night one time and saying, God, I just get it. If you don't do something, I've tried everything. And if you don't do something, I'm just going to be like this for the rest of my life, but I'm going to trust you anyways. I, I, I remember... Um, when we were coming here to Fountain, it was kind of the same thing. There, it, was, it, was a huge, it was a huge leap for us. And it was like, Lord, if you don't come through, like, we're sunk. And those seasons were so special because our dependency was so on him. There's such a rest as we look at the impossibility and we feel our weakness and our feebleness. There's a rest that comes upon us. Man, that, that, that's supernatural. And so, so faith doesn't deny the facts. Faith just puts God in front of the facts. So faith looks at reality, looks at the flood, doesn't be like, the flood doesn't exist. No, faith looks at the flood, but just puts God out in front. It says this, 
Joshua 3, verses 2 and 4 said, After three days the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions. I'm going to talk about the Ark in just a minute. You are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Can I just tell you, I really believe that we are in a never-been-this-way-before season. That our world has changed dramatically over this last year. And we don't really know how all the, di- you know, how all the dust is going to settle. We're, we're, we're entering into some, some new territory. We're, we're entering into some new seasons. And, and some of you, you feel this way. You're like, man, I, God, I feel like you're calling me to take some territory, but I've never been that way. I've never lived like that. Like, I know you're calling me to live godly in this relationship. I know you're calling me, but I, I've never been that way before. I know that you're calling me to step out here, step out there, but I'm a little bit nervous. God, I've never been that way. And and Joshua was like, yeah, make sure that the ark is out in front. And he says, put it a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark, which is probably about a half a mile. And he said, don't go near it. And what Joshua was saying is this, the ark of the covenant was uh, this box that I'm going to show you in a second that contained the presence of God. It was like God in all of his infinite wisdom, authority, power, presence, not bound by time, not confound by space, says I'm still going to limit myself to this box to be with the complaining, grumbling people. <laughs> I mean, the grace of our God and how much he bears with us. But the, the Ark of the Covenant was what contained the presence of God. So it was like Joshua was saying, listen, don't everybody get too close. Back up so that everybody can get their eyes on the Ark. Like, I want every, if everybody's too close and the people in front will be able to see, but I want everybody to get their eyes on the ark. And as it sets out, as the presence of God goes before us, you follow it. Now, the ark is an interesting looking box. Um, you have two cherubim on, the, on each side, uh, one at the head, one at the back, and then you have this little table right here, which is, is called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is, is, is translated of, of this is the place where, where we meet with God. The, the high priest would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And it was in that place that, that, that people would meet. It was in that place that they would meet with God. And inside of the ark was contained the Ten Commandments, was uh, just, you know, the, the reality of God's word. Um, it, what was also contained in the ark was, um, was manna. The, the manna, because when they left Egypt, they, had, they, they didn't have any type of provision food-wise, so they would wake up every single day, and God would provide fresh bread for them. And so the manna was uh, a reminder of God's provision. And then there was Aaron's rod. And, and Aaron's rod, uh, Aaron was Moses' brother, later became a priest, um, you know, a, a ruler that God had appointed and so the people were grumbling and fighting against, you know, Aaron, and they were just grumbling. So God said, let me, let me show you. Let me make an example of what I want you to understand. So we took Aaron's rod, and it blossomed and even grew almonds on it. And what God was saying is, listen, I have an order to things. He was really giving the people a warning, saying, I have an order. There's a way that life is supposed to be lived. There's, there's a way that I've designed things to work. And you guys are rebelling against that. 
And so, so you get this, this picture that, you know, all, all of this, God's word, God's provision, um, God's, uh, God's, God's order of things. And Joshua was saying, listen, the presence of God has to go before us. And so I want you to get your eyes on the presence. I want, you, uh, to, I want there to be a reordering of things, right? Because God, what does God do? God provides. I know there's, somebody just dropped a can. It's all good. Everybody look at me. Um, so, so, so Joshua was saying, listen, the presence of God is going to go before us. The presence of God. The word of God is going out in front. The provision of God and the order of things, the way that God does things. So what I want you to do is right now you're looking at the flood and you see the promise on the other side. Joshua was like, I want you to first see the presence before, of God before you see the flood so you can see his provision, so that you can see his power, so that you can remember all that he is, put his word out in front, so that you'll know how to go and navigate. Are you guys with me on this? This was a promised land moment. This generation had never saw the Red Sea part. Joshua did, but they didn't. A brand new generation was learning to hear from God. I love what this man by the name of Alan Redpath said. He says, most of us, he said, God, forgive us, are too big for God to use. We are too full of our own schemes and our own way of doing things. The world speaks about survival of the fittest, but God gives power to the faint, and he gives might to those who have no strength. And so sometimes it's like God's like, listen, I know my timing can be tough, but my timing is going to strengthen your trusting because it's going to exhaust your scheming. And as you look at the impossibility, it's going to force you to reorder some things and to get me out in front. That's exactly what Joshua was telling the people. Put, let, the, let God go before us. And this was familiar to Joshua because he learned that from Moses. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go before me, I don't want to go. So Joshua is now training the next generation. It says, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will work wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. He said, I want you to consecrate yourself because God is about to show up tomorrow. And this word consecrate can be a little intimidating for some people, but it's, it's, a, it's a word that simply means to be set apart as holy. To be set apart to God as holy, our life set apart to God as holy. It means to, to purify ourselves like man, examine our hearts, just like when we take communion, right? Paul said, don't take it in an unworthy manner. Examine your hearts. Man, if there's any sin that you need to repent of, deal with it, man. And invite the Lord into that space. Man, God's grace and forgiveness, man, he is faithful to forgive us if we're, we're acknowledging our sin and confessing it. Like, like do some, some heart work. But consecration also means it, 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 it literally has this notion of being ready. Like you're, you're, you're expecting God to move. You're expecting to meet with God. And I think as we see throughout scripture, the unprepared miss out on a lot when it comes to the divine work and moves of God. We see the Israelites is a clear example of that. They didn't set themselves apart to the Lord. They set themselves apart to their unbelief. And instead of entering to the land, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, we see, uh, you, you fast forward to, to, the, to the New Testament. And we see um, the, the, the beautiful picture of the 10 bridesmaids where they're preparing for the return. It, the, the, the parable is, is in light of the return of Christ. Like, are you ready? And there was 10 bridesmaids and five of them looked ready, but five of them were ready. They all looked the same, but only five of them had oil. On. Only five of them are actually really 
ready. Only five of them were actually really set apart, that their devotion was to the Lord and only him. The other ones, they kind of went through the motions of things. They had all the outer markings, but they had no oil. Remember Devon Franklin, he's a, a movie producer. He's married to this woman, Megan Good. And he, was, he, he told her one day, because she always wanted to be uh, filmed in a movie as a superhero. So he's like, girl, why don't you start training like a superhero? Like, why don't you start preparing now rather than waiting for the role and then preparing? Why don't you start preparing now? Why don't you get into shape like a superhero so when they come calling, you're ready? And that's exactly what she did. She started to train, started to train, started to train. Then all a door opened up and she got into this movie Shazam and she's living her best life as a superhero. And so, so, so it's this reality that, man, if we're really believing God, faith, listen, faith, if it's real, yeah. will, give, will give me some substance. Like, like, I'm going to prepare because I'm really believing God to do something. Like, I don't want to have the outer markings of looking like, hey, I may go to church. I may even show up to small group. But I, I want God to come into the inner sanctum of my heart. I want to make sure that, man, I'm anticipating. When I wake up every day, Lord, what are you going to do? I'm preparing to meet with you today. You're going to do something today. Even in the midst of my waiting, you're going to do something. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down is that the preparation of our heart today reveals our expectation of what God will do tomorrow. So you want to know if you're really expecting God to move on your behalf or move in a particular area, how are you preparing for that? You know, as we look back at Exodus, I'm kind of giving you guys a little bit of a, a, you know, we're we're kind of going back between Joshua and Moses here. Back in Exodus, when the, the people were getting ready to meet with God, Moses told the people the same thing, consecrate yourselves. But then Moses adds one little element. He says, wash your clothes. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of like weird because we didn't know everything about what Moses meant by consecrating yourself. But washing your clothes was this key sign that when we're preparing our lives, we're consecrating our lives unto the Lord. When we're set apart as holy unto him, it should alter the aspects of our daily living. Like, like even, even something as simple as, as washing your clothes, it was like, man, it should impact everything that we do. Because we are, we're getting ready. And so, so like for us, three days of fasting and prayer starts tomorrow. We're going to have 6.30 a.m. prayer every day for the next three days on Zoom. You don't even have to pray out loud because we're all praying at the same time. So it's not like, don't feel like if you jump on, you're going to get called out. Like, why don't you pray out loud? No, we're all crying out. It's just a cry. We cry for 30 minutes. And so we, I'd love for you guys to join us on that. But what are we saying? We're saying, God, we're giving you the first of our month. We're giving you our best. We're setting this month aside to say, Lord, we need you. We're putting you out in front because we know that there's going to be some waiting. There's going to be some floods in front of us this month. So we're, man, we just want to hear from you. See, consecration isn't about just getting something from God. Fasting and prayers, it's not about getting something from God. It's about setting ourselves apart to be in the presence of God, to spending enough time in God's presence, that we're so sensitive to his presence that when he calls us, we're ready. That when he moves out, we see him. Jesus said this, he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And that word pure just means to be unmixed. Let let your devotion be unmixed. Why? So that, that we're so familiar with the presence of God, that we're sensitive to his voice, we're sensitive to his presence. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says it this way. He says, the great of the kingdom have been those who love God more than others did. I venture to suggest that the one vital quality which they all had in common was spiritual receptivity. 
Something in them was open to heaven, something which urged them Godward without attempting anything like a profound analysis, he said. I shall say simply that they had a spiritual awareness and that they went on to cultivate it until it became the biggest thing in their lives. See, again, consecration isn't just simply to, you know, all right, I got to go through this routine, wash my clothes and try to live holy. No, 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 it's not about that. It's about setting my life, letting God invade every aspect of our heart and life, every aspect of our routine so that, so that what? Not so we can get something from him, so that we can cultivate a depth of relationship with him that when God is moving, we're able to hear because we're abiding with him. I know I just said a lot. You're going to have to go back and listen to that on podcast. But, 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 but the whole part is we want to abide with him because wherever he leads, that's where we want to go. And can I just tell you, sometimes the ark will lead us. Sometimes the presence of God will lead us into uncharted waters. I mean, really think about it. Follow the ark. Where was the ark leading? Into the Jordan. Into the Jordan during flood season. Like, God, this makes no sense. Why would you have us go into the water? Aren't you going to do like the Moses thing? Like, you part it. And then we walk through. But God's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something else. You see, sometimes we, we're so late to believe God because we're trying so hard to figure it out. And we're really not sensitive to his voice. We have a hard time discerning. God, is this you? Is this not you? And believe me, I, I'm, 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 I'm not in this place where I always get it right. I mean, there's sometimes in my life I do wrestle and I'm like, man, Lord, I, I feel like I hear from you pretty well. But when there's some things that don't make sense, it's still a little bit scary to say, God, I really feel like this is what you're saying. But I don't know if I want to step into that. It could be scary. But our job isn't to always figure it out. Our job is to just know, man, if the presence of God is going, then, Lord, I'm following and, and it's important that we understand his voice because God will lead us in different times, different ways, in different seasons. So like for Moses, it was, hey, I'm going to manifest my presence in the, the, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. That's, you're going to know that I'm with you, Moses. For Joshua, it was like, let the ark go out in front. For us now as followers of Jesus, we have the spirit of God living on the inside of us. But sometimes, like, man, the spirit of God... You know, maybe there was, there was one way that we, God would lead us to handle things. But then maybe we're approaching the same situation and the spirit of God's like, yeah, I don't want you to handle it that way anymore. I want you to do something else. I mean, David was, was a class act of that. King David would always seek the Lord, even though he had experienced so many victories with God. He would always inquire of the Lord. Lord, I know this is how we did it last time. But this is how you want to do it this time? Like, I just want to be in tune. I want to be consecrated. I want to be set apart unto you. So I just, I know your voice. I'm sensitive to your presence that when you're moving out, even if it's in uncharted waters, I'm okay with that. Because the presence of God leads us in different ways. And the last one is this. How we live in the tension of waiting can bring freedom to those who are watching. Can I just say that your waiting is bigger than you? As you're standing on the shore, Three days looking at that flood, whatever it may be, and just feeling like, man, there's, there's tension. I'm, this is where I'm at. I see where I want to be. And then there's this flood. There's this tension. There's this season of waiting. Can I just tell you that that season is bigger than you? Joshua went on to say, he said, now the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel so that they may know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Can I tell you when God lifts you up, it's not for your glory, it's for his. 
so people to recognize that God is with us. And it says, uh, command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the waters, stand in the Jordan. What? Some of you guys are like, man, I'm so glad it's the priest. But can I tell you, how you stand in the flood is big because people are watching. People are watching you wait. They're watching you step. They're watching you move in the midst of the waiting. And so some of you guys are like, well, that's good for you, Pastor Matt. Make sure you keep stepping in those waters, buddy. I got news, though. Peter lets us know in 1 Peter 2.9, he says, but you are not like that for you, meaning you as followers of Jesus, our chosen people. What are you? A royal priest. Hey. A holy nation. God's very own possession. And so what? As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. So you don't get a pass. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to carry God's presence into the floodwaters, into uncharted territory, to carry and to stand in the midst of the waiting, up under the presence of God, up under the word of God, up under the provision of God, up under the order of God, the way God has ordered things. And it says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, before the people, as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the waters, now again the Jordan overflows at its bank throughout the time of harvest. Let me, so, so let me just set the stage. You are our carrier of God's presence right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. When God calls us to step into the current of our culture, into the current of our world, can I just tell you, that's an exciting moment because the miracle didn't take place on the dry ground. The miracle took place in the middle of a flood. And so I'm not, and I'm not just saying that because it, it preaches really well or sounds good. I'm saying that, no, no, no. God is going to call us to step into spaces that are uncomfortable and to stand and wait. To stand and wait. And as they're standing and they're waiting and people are watching there's tension everybody's like what josh was like no waters are party what's going on god this is not how you did it for moses like what's happening and it says then the waters coming down from above rose up in a heap very far away so god stopped up the waters about 20 miles up in the city of adam and it says, And those flowing downward to the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all of the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So I want you to get this picture in your mind. Is, is the priests, they step into the water, right? They, they have the Ark of the Covenant, a little bit heavy. They step into the water, and, and I'm sure, you know how you step in, you're like, all right, God, boom! They're like, and you know this thing is pounding against them. So it's not like they're just like walking on water. No, it's pounding against them. They're like, Joshua's like, go a little bit deeper, man. Go, just keep, keep, just go, go till you're in the middle of that bad boy or till you can't find your next step. And they're probably sitting there like, for the water to back up in the city of Adam, it would have taken at least 10 minutes to go into effect. So now they're just waiting, getting pounded. And I'm sure they're looking like, man, Josh is getting fired on this one. 
because nothing's happening. Joshua was probably looking like, like, God, what? come on, like, do your thing. Like, part the sea, dude. The Jordan, like, help us. Like, what, God, what are you doing? And, and so you could just imagine the tension and the generation is just watching. And then all of a sudden it starts to subside little by little. And they're like, oh, my gosh, something like God is moving. Like, like it's working. Sometimes, listen, when you step in, it doesn't mean that, listen, when God calls you to step into a place, it doesn't mean that he's not moving. It's just like Daniel. When Daniel prayed, the Bible says, man, we sent the response right away, but there was some spiritual war happening, happening in the heavenlies that delayed the response. But God was still at work. So just because you don't see any results doesn't mean that you've missed it. And so, so they're standing, and all of a sudden, they're standing on dry ground. As a priest, I'd be like, I want to put this thing down. Hurry up and let me get across. But they have to stand and wait for everybody in the nation to pass through. And so I just, can I just tell you, many times our wait is not for us. That one of the biggest wins in our wait is when we're waiting on others in the wait. So let me say this, you go to a restaurant, I know it's probably been a long time, but you know when you sit down in a restaurant and you're waiting for your food, when's the last time you got up and waited on somebody else, try to help them get their food first? That's just not normal for us. Like, man, hurry up and get my food, please, please. But God's like, man, what if I have you wait on others in the middle of your wait? That's a huge win. They're not stuck. They're not stagnant. They're standing and they're serving. They're standing in the gap. They're standing in the tension. But can you imagine the priest like, only a million more, bro. Just hold, the, hold it. Hold steady. New territory. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. And there's a generation, ladies and gentlemen, just like then, that there is now, that are watching. Never seen God move like this before. Can I just tell you, they're worth the wait. They're worth the wait. Those friends and family members that you have that don't know Jesus, they're worth the wait. And they're watching. Right? The barista and people that were passing by every single day as we navigate Walmart and Target. They're watching. I remember a, a pastor friend of mine, I watched a lady smash into him in Costco with a big old rug. I'm like, I'm going to see how he's going to respond. <laughs> and he responded so graciously. I was watching. They're worth the wait. See, I, I think about, I go back and I think about the motivation for us. Like what keeps us motivated is when Jesus was on that cross, waiting to die hour after hour after hour with you and me on his mind, thinking they're worth the wait. They're so worth the wait. And then, then he dies and the disciples are looking at a flood for how long? three days, staring at the impossibility of the resurrection, looking at the cross, being like, he's not coming back. Three days, they stared at a flood of impossibility. And on the third day, it rose. And in John chapter 20, it says that uh, Mary went to the tomb. And as she looked in, she saw two angels. She saw one at the head and one at the feet. And the mercy seat where the blood-stained body of Jesus had laid, that no longer would people meet with God on the basis of the ark, but now they would meet with God on the basis of the resurrected Savior. Like how powerful is that? 
And that you and I, listen, can wait because now the resurrected Savior, the risen Savior, goes out before us. He doesn't contain the word. He is the word of God. He is our provision. And he is our order. There is only one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have an order to things, God says. And so as you and I are standing in these uncharted waters, can I just encourage you, church? Can I just encourage you that our preparation, preparation now, is de- it, it determines, it, it reveals our expectation of what God will do tomorrow. How are you preparing? Can I just tell you God's timing? It's going to strengthen your trusting because it exhausts our scheme. And if you're looking at an impossibility, that's great. Maybe God wants you to look at it and see that unless, unless it's him, it's not going to work. And then let me just say, you're, you're, you're waiting. It's worth it because you're waiting might determine somebody else's freedom because they're watching. And they say, man, if you can stand like that, I want, I, I want to know, I want to know that God. Let me pray with you, Father, in Jesus' name, as we wait, I pray, God, that, that you would come, Holy Spirit, help us to get you out in front, that our, our view, let us, I pray that we would help invite you to let us define the wind in the areas where there's tension, where we find ourselves where we are to where we want to be. Lord, help us to define what you want this hour to look like this season. And Lord, I ask for those that just don't know you, Lord, and they're waiting without you. And they're wondering, God, if you care. They're wondering. They're, they, don't, they, they don't see any good on the other side. They just see a flood. Lord, I pray that they would get a revelation of the cross today. That as you were hanging on that cross, it was for them. As you were waiting to die, you were saying they're worth the wait. And now that we would put you out in front, the resurrected Savior out in front of every one of our obstacles, every one of our tensions, even in the midst of the waiting. We put you out in front and we trust you because we know, Lord, that that you're working. And so we're waiting. People are watching. We're trusting. We ask that you would move on our behalf in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.